0: The Gospel according to Luke chapter 18. Glory to you, Lord. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. I was backing out of my driveway to go to a meeting on Monday. It was a cool and crisp October evening. I noticed that the light shifted from the setting sun and hit the grass in such a way that it looked like our lawn was covered in spun silk. It was so beautiful, and I paused for a minute, astonished that I had not noticed this before. I later learned, through the help of Google, that this is the work of tiny grass spiders, who apparently work very hard on cool fall evenings, moving over the grass with their tiny legs weaving their microscopic webs. It was astounding that all of this miraculous and beautiful work had been done right in front of my eyes, veiled in the darkness of night, and I had not even noticed it. It occurs to me that this is often how the Spirit of God operates. Invisible at times, hidden sometimes, working in the shadows of the evening or by cover of darkness until suddenly the light shifts and you catch an astonishing glimpse of beauty and creative power. To me this describes how the Spirit of God works in and through Lutheran campus ministry. Our students move and work in ways I often don't see and frankly don't often even understand forming friendships and foraging relationships, connecting outside of LCM, even over coffee, dinner, water, Zumba, yoga, art exhibits, athletic events, game nights, movie nights, guys' nights, girls' nights, countless hours around the dining room table, studying and arguing and shouting and debating and laughing and sometimes crying. And it is sometimes so very loud and sometimes so very annoying. And then I suddenly catch a glimpse of what they've been up to in their work of connecting and relationship building, and it is indescribably beautiful and astonishing how the Spirit of God has spun this web of LCM community right before our eyes in sometimes subtle and hidden ways. This year, 2019, Lutheran Campus Ministry celebrates 100 years on the campus of the University of Iowa, starting back in 1919 with a $500 grant from the United Lutheran Church in America to the University of Iowa. This week is huge for LCM, because in addition to it being midterms, it's homecoming week, plus we have this anniversary celebration, Despite this, LCM students have organized this entire week of homecoming, including our participation in the parade on Friday. The students have organized today's anniversary celebration with much support from Gloria Day. This year, the students have organized themselves into five ministry teams, administration, social media, university outreach, community outreach, and student inreach. I will always remember the day last spring, when half a dozen LCM students walked into my office and announced, we want to reorganize the structure of LCM. To which I replied, I wasn't even aware we had a structure. And that day they laid out their vision of student-led teams of growing LCM and taking ownership and initiative in this life-changing campus ministry. God's spirit has been hard at work in and through these students, spinning webs of connectedness and community. For example, this semester, LCM has gone on retreat to Camp Shalom in Makokita to study issues of racism, misogyny, social injustice, and toxic masculinity within the church together with students from Waldorf University, an amazing partner in campus ministry with us, bringing students from Nepal, India, Nigeria, Uganda, and Malaysia. Every Wednesday evening, LCM hosts the International University Campus Ministry, which ministers to students from over a dozen countries in Asia and the Middle East. Last year, LCM raised $5,000 to purchase Christmas gifts for the 30 families affected by the immigration raid in Mount Pleasant. We have organized rallies and marches for immigration reform and recently participated in the rally addressing global climate change when Greta Thunberg visited Iowa City two weeks ago. We will co-host, along with the Shelter House, the annual Homelessness Awareness Soup Luncheon on November 21. At the end of this month, LCM will assist with the consultation of religious communities annual winter coat distribution to refugee and immigrant families in Iowa City, and the list goes on and on. As to our core identity, Lutheran Campus Ministry is the only officially registered student campus ministry at Iowa that is open and affirming of the LGBTQIA community on a campus of 33,000 students. We are also a member of the Reconciling in Christ Religious Community Network in the United States, which is an official roster of Lutheran faith communities that celebrate, welcome, and and affirm LGBTQIA persons. You will see our banner on the front of our house. What this means is that LCM does not tolerate our LGBTQIA students. We celebrate them because God hates nothing that God has created This piece of our identity is non-negotiable. As LCM believes, the grace of Jesus Christ rains down on all people of all sexual orientations and gender identities. LCM gives thanks to Gloria Day Lutheran Church for its unfailing support, especially for these past 12 years when we have lived in a home owned by Gloria Day and now recently purchased by the university. We thank you for the beautiful new facility being built, and we appreciate the cost and commitment this project is to this congregation. At the same time, campus ministries across the United States are folding as their funding streams dry up. Congregations largely are shrinking both in number and in membership, and this means a decrease in financial support to ministries like LCM. LCM absolutely and earnestly needs your help, financially and spiritually, not only to survive, but to continue to grow this ministry so that we can minister to your children and grandchildren in these next 100 years. In a landscape of discouraging trends across most Christian denominations, LCM is quite countercultural. We are growing, we are thriving. We beg you. For your support. Do not let this ministry go under. Too much is at stake. These students are brilliant and creative and empathetic and curious. They are doctors and lawyers and teachers and poets and debaters and dreamers. These men and women of faith text me before med school interviews and LSAT tests and finals and during breakups and before first dates and ask me to pray with them. They share when their hearts are broken, and when they find a new love, they are funny and pull pranks on me. And I pretend to be annoyed, but I am not, and I am aware that that statement will only increase the number of shenanigans. These students are my congregation, albeit a peculiar congregation that often comes alive when others are going to bed. Sometimes they reach out in the middle of the night. One time I had a student ask me to text him sporadically throughout the night because he was at a party and didn't want to drink, and this would keep him accountable. They reach out in the dark hours of the night as they work to connect with each other, with themselves, with the world, with God, after good decisions and bad. And in this I see profound glimpses of God's creative power like those grass spiders spinning webs of sparkling silk at night. There's a powerful connection between these students and the first reading that we have today from Genesis, which coincidentally happens to be my all-time favorite biblical story and is exactly why my little son Jacob is named Jacob. When I was pregnant with Jacob, I noticed that whenever I preached, he kicked hard when he was still in my belly. He seemed either invigorated or agitated when I preached, whether it was the rush of adrenaline or a spiritual wrestling, I will never know. Jacob remains the same even after having been born. He would often refuse to stand up whenever I asked the congregation to please rise. He would glare at me from the balcony, and whenever I said, would you please share signs of peace with one another, he would say, no. He would often wait for the silence after meditation, after I preached, to yell, I hate this place and I hate you people. Jacob did nothing and believed nothing simply because he was told to. He is still like that today. For a long time, he told me he was going to become a Jew and wore a yarmulke around the house that we got from a Jewish friend of ours. Then one day he told me that he wanted to become a Lutheran pastor, and I said, I thought you hated church, and he said, yeah, I'm going to have to work on that. (laughs) The Jacob in this story from Genesis is why my Jacob is named Jacob. Jacob wrestles with God. In today's story from Genesis, Jacob and his twin brother Esau are making their way towards each other after 20 years of being estranged. The 20-year grievance is a result of Jacob's cheating his older brother Esau out of his rightful inheritance and blessing when their father Isaac was on his deathbed. But even before that, the two brothers fought. In fact, the twins wrestled even within their mother Rebecca's womb, much to her dismay and discomfort. In fact, when Esau was born first, his brother Jacob followed close behind, grasping Esau's heel with his hand in a primal attempt to pull his brother back into the womb so that he could be born first. This rivalry was heightened by the fact that their father favored Esau, but their mother favored Jacob. At any rate, there's been bad blood between these brothers for 20 years, and now they are traveling towards each other like two armies advancing towards each other, bringing their wives and their servants and their children and their flocks and their herds along with them. This particular passage from Genesis takes place the night before the two brothers meet. Jacob and his entourage come upon the river called Jabbok. If you are a reader of the Hebrew Bible, you know that nothing is accidental or coincidental, and you would notice the sophisticated linguistic play on words between Jacob and Jabbok, signaling that there's about to be an inversion, a turning inside out of something. Anyway. Since nightfall is approaching, Jacob sends all of his family and animals across the river to settle in for the night while he remains alone on the banks of the river Jabbok. And while his family and flocks drift off to sleep, Jacob is attacked. A man lunges at him from out of the shadows, and the two wrestle all night long. As daybreak nears, the man realizes he cannot beat Jacob fairly, so he kicks Jacob's hip dislocating it, a cheap shot, for sure, and a cheating move in wrestling. So Jacob the cheater has been outcheated. Who is this man, Jacob wonders, who has beaten me at my own game? Panting and exhausted, the man asks, what is your name? And the one-word answer cuts through the damp, and earthy air, Jacob. But you see, in those days, names were not just names. They were laden with meaning. And so Jacob's answer is actually more of a confession, really, because his name bears the weight of his identity, of who he's been and who he is now. My name is Jacob, and I've been on my brother's heels since we were born. I've cheated him. I have deceived him. And tomorrow we will meet, and I'm afraid he might kill me, which he would be justified in doing and furthermore i have sent my wives and my servants and my herds and my flocks ahead of me so that maybe he will be impressed by my wealth and appeased and maybe even accept a bribe to have a truce because i am a coward everything that i am and everything that i have is built on a lie my name is jacob and this is who i am And the man replies, I give you a new name. Your name is now Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. Jacob then asks that man for a legitimate one this time, not one that Jacob has to cheat to get, and the sun comes up and the man disappears. Jacob's wives awaken. What happened to him? Jacob carries a limp for the rest of his life, on the banks of the river Jabbok. Sometimes we look at our college, why do you look so exhausted? Why are there shadows under your eyes? What are you wrestling with? Are you wrestling with angels who actually feel? Do you wrestle with academic pressure, relationship drama, stression, or homesickness? Do you wrestle with new love? or heartbreak? Do you wrestle with a conscience over decisions made that cannot be undone? We all wrestle with our identity as we seek to discover who we are, as students, as humans, as children of God. Wrestling with such things is exhausting, not just for students, but for all of us. At some point, we all fight for our lives, wrestling with who we've been and who we are. And somehow in the madness of this mental and spiritual wrestling, it dawns on us that faith is found within the fight. That wrestling with God is what faith is. That while God does not cause the struggle, God is surely found in every struggle. That swallowing doctrine and catechisms without question or critique Or wrestling is nothing more than empty memorization at best and brainwashing at worst. But real faith is meeting God on the wrestling mat, where faith is challenged and made stronger. I've seen my little son Jacob actually literally wrestle, and it's terrifying. His face gets mashed into the mats. his back arches, his legs strain, he makes weird sounds, he cranes his neck to find his coach, I stand by helplessly and watch, forgetting to breathe, while sweat runs down my back, and all I can do is watch and wonder whatever happened to my toddler who used to watch Thomas the Train and sing Itsy Bitsy Spider with me, and I'm sure other parents feel that sometimes when you look at your college son or daughter. We cannot spare our sons and daughters from such wrestling. But we can support the ministries that embrace and welcome them in their wrestling. These LCM students that I work with, and all of you, are so deeply loved by God, without condition and without end, as you wrestle in life, with conscience, with self, with others, with God. Because no matter how deep the shadows or how dark the night, morning will come. Hold on by your very fingernails. If you must, morning will come. True for students, true for all. That God's spirit is often hardest at work when shadows are thick and darkness surrounds. That God's spirit is spinning webs of hope, webs of relationship and community, that love lives indeed and bears us up. That what might look like an old, dead cobweb is actually the shimmering, spun silk that dreams and visions are made of. That at those times when hope flickers and fades and we are catapulted in our minds back to the muddy banks of the Jabbok River with our brother Jacob, we encounter the fullness of God who forgives us and blesses us And sends us on our way, maybe limping a little, but alive. And the sun comes up, and a new day dawns.